AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. John shared a story with us about a new attack that uh, leverages attachments that run in Microsoft Office. This is kind of an old attack uh, that's kind of come back in a way. Typically, what we've been seeing over the past couple of years is malicious Word documents with macros as part of the infection vector, so you have to enable the macros. This is a kind of a new technique using an old technology that's been around in Microsoft products for a long time called DDE, Dynamic Data Exchange. If you have maybe a Word document and you want to uh, import some data into that Word document, maybe in a table from an Excel spreadsheet, it allows you to do this dynamic data exchange. Well, what we've seen over the past couple of years is they haven't really been using DDE. They've been using mostly macro viruses. So you'll, you've probably seen lots of phishing emails with Word documents when you open them up. It'll say, enable macros at the top. If you enable the macro, that'll trigger some code to infect your machine. Instead, this is a different technique, uses DDE, and um, they figured out a way to actually execute a command prompt and then execute other things beyond that. The interesting thing about it is it's not really obvious what's happening. It will bring up a prompt that says this document is importing content from other files. Is that okay? Uh, if you say okay, it'll execute this exploit. You know, hopefully you don't even open a malicious uh, attachment, but if you do and you see something that says it's trying to open another file from another location, be very suspicious of that. Microsoft was contacted about this, and much like the macro stuff, it really is not a vulnerability so much as kind of a social engineering type of thing. Bad guys have figured out yet another way that they can kind of trick users into, you know, getting infected via malicious documents. The real trick here is, you know, to be really aware, um, as always. We train users in general to be aware of any pop-ups and banners that may come up on their screen and hopefully read through them properly. So um, hopefully they're aware of uh, just, uh, just looking out for it. What I will say is we've seen the Fin7 group, which we've talked about probably on the show. Fin7 is involved with like payment card theft. So they do a lot of theft of credit card information from payment card vendors, restaurants, healthcare companies, things like that. They'll steal credit card information from uh, large organizations. They've been using this technique within the past week or so in phishing emails. So that's something to be aware of. Um, as you should always you know, keep a very high awareness around this type of thing. The danger here is before you've gotten really used to looking for enable macros, which we've all kind of learned, oh, this is probably bad. Now you need to start looking for a new prompt that comes up that says uh, generally to the effect of this document contains links that may refer to other files. Do you want to uh, update this document with the data from the linked files? And if you do that, that could cause a, an infection to occur. Is that DDE notification static or is that something that an attacker might be able to modify in you know what the pop-up box says? As far as I'm aware, it's static. I don't think that they have the ability to change the contents of it, or at least we haven't seen that yet. So, you know, it, it should be 
a pretty static message that you see here. And also, I will mention a lot of antivirus is not detecting this really well, this technique when it's put in. I expect that that's going to change over the next upcoming days here because I think it's not difficult to detect. It's just that a lot of antivirus companies have not implemented detections for it when it was first announced last week. So I uh, wanted to keep an eye out for it. Really, the best thing to do is if you receive a Word document, an email, and you don't know who it came from, don't open it. All right, we've got uh, Todd Wiskellis online with us this week. And Todd, you've been looking at some Apple scams, uh, I guess via phishing uh, that's been coming around recently? Yeah, I saw an interesting article by Paul Ducklin from Sophos wrote about uh, some activity that they've been seeing. And there's been some other talk about it on the net as well. And just thought it'd be interesting to talk about because we traditionally see our Windows devices attacked from these sort of malware advertising type of schemes. But Paul identified uh, one particular site that he went to, and I thought it was a pretty interesting story. So, you know, he went to this seemingly innocuous site, uh, or at least seemingly safe site, and as they were visiting it, uh, they popped up a, uh, a warning on their computer that they needed to contact Apple support. The interesting thing about this one was that it was a pure copy of the Apple support page. They've actually created a fake version of the Apple support website with all the same images and everything. It looks very legitimate. So all the way down to the pictures, the verbiage, everything with obviously the fake links embedded into it and the numbers to call. The analogy was like you were waiting at a bus stop with multiple buses arriving at the same time. So if you chose to click off of that page, you got a big warning saying that your computer's, a, you know, your, your Mac is a mess and dire things will happen if you click off without contact and support. However, you click off, you refresh a couple of times on the same page, and you get uh, a few pop-ups for buying domain names and a couple of, hey, get your streaming TV connections here and those types of things. And then the second bus showed up, as you said, with, um, with fake malware ads. So we got, uh, hey, your system's infected with the virus. We've done a scan. Here are the viruses. And, of course, the names weren't, weren't legitimate. And then click here and buy protection, and we'll help you clean it up. And so you'd be clicking on buying protection for the viruses that didn't exist. And then if you moved on past that and refreshed again, you got another scam that popped up. And this is all in the same environment. And the third one was an Adobe Flash upgrade prompt, which was interesting because Adobe didn't put up any pushes that week with, with updates. So I think the interesting thing here is that, you know, one site, multiple different attack vectors, uh, trying to get the user to click on something and get them, you know, to engage and, and take part of the malware scam. So. Just a reminder that, you know, although the Windows boxes are typically our, our hot, hot targets, that uh, the Mac boxes do get hit, and users need to be aware of, you know, fake malware, fake virus warnings, uh, fake updates, all the same things that, you know, the traditional platforms and Windows would have to worry about. So the greatest hits of ways to trick users, these engineering, uh, social engineering approaches, they work on Windows users, so the thinking is, oh, they'll work on Apple users as well. Those have worked and have been popular for years and years and years. So somebody's taking what worked against other users and they're hitting uh, Macintosh users with those same type of attacks. Macs are not invulnerable. Don't think you're immune to being targeted just because you have a Mac. Definitely there are families of malware out there for it. Now, how did they get to this site in the first place? Why would you be directed to this site? He didn't mention if it was through a phishing site or through a phishing connection or not. Uh, but that they did end up at this site. So my guess is they received some sort of a phishing email and, and landed on this site and it started the cycle of different types of attacks within the same environment. Yeah, you know, I think the important takeaway, like you said here, is that um, a lot of people with Macs still in this day and age think that, well, you know, I'm not really targeted. 
And while it's true that Macs, the Mac platform in general is not targeted as much, it's not that it's not targeted at all, it's just not as much. They tend to think, well, you know, there's not as much targeting us, but there still is some stuff targeting you if you're using a Mac and you shouldn't uh, be comfortable, I think is the right way to think about it. There are still people trying to trick you. So you're still got this possibility like you're talking about here to get caught up in some kind of uh, malware or phishing scheme in order to get lured in and get some kind of bad software put on your machine. So, you know, definitely something to be aware of. You're not immune just because you're running a Mac. What I found of interest was that the three attacks were were really different in targeting how the individual thinks, right? So the first one looks just like Apple, see if we can get him to call in. The second one says, all right, well, if that didn't work, I'm going to go ahead and give them a scare tactic, right? I'm going to go ahead and give them a, a virus warning all over their computer and see if they'll pay for some software to fix it that doesn't exist, right? And then the third one was, all right, well, if I can't scare them into it and I can't coach them into it, maybe I'll just put out an Adobe Flash update and see if they click on that and pull it down. So there was definitely three Although they're similar, the three different types of attack styles that were in this one, this one plan. Yeah, they basically threw everything but the kitchen sink at them, uh, trying to see if they'd take, you know, bite at any of those. Thanks for bringing that story. Hey, Michael. So uh, I guess you were looking into a story about how cyber attacks kind of impacted the physical world and kind of inconvenienced a lot of people recently across the pond, as it were. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so this, this is... Uh, a case uh, where uh, a transportation system in Sweden okay. was impacted, and they're saying it was a denial of service attack. A lot of different uh, parts of their system were attacked kind of at the same time, including their website where people would go to find out what's going on. Right, so this right. is one of those cases where if you want to know why the train's not coming, you couldn't get that information from the usual source because it was also taken down as part of the denial of service attack. Uh, so interestingly, you know, very 21st century, they used Facebook to advise people on what go. was going on. So instead of, you know, um, DR servers kicking in, it was uh, a completely different way of communicating to people that allowed them to kind of keep an update going to the people who were impacted and couldn't travel. But I think to your point, John, um, you know, we, we have been tracking DDoS attacks. And we've been, you know, trying to mitigate them for, against us and helping customers mitigate them for years and years. And there's always the question of, you know, how bad can one get? How, how much impact can there be? And while it was good, there was no loss of life in this case. Um, it's getting closer to what people can, you know, see and feel around, you know, the trains weren't running. Well, you can also imagine, well, what if there would have been a derailment or something more serious? Right, right. It's getting very close to that edge of where it becomes kind of shocking to people that a cyber attack can have that much impact. It had more impact than a lot of other DDoS attacks have had. It was something that affected people's lives. Did they say whether, you know, whether they knew what the objective was? Was this the objective of the attacker? Or they're not really sure why they were launching these DDoSs? Was it to test the system or to try to disrupt the train service? Yeah, there was some speculation that this was more of a test to see okay. just how much could you impact a, a, you know, an area's transportation system using denial of service attacks. To me, I'm not 100% convinced that they knew that a DDoS attack was gonna have this effect. It was probably a test to see, and it was probably a very successful test. But I don't think we know that for sure. And it, you don't know always right. the attribution 
problem, right, of who was really behind it, what was their real motive. What was their motivation, right? right. But if they were testing the ability to impact people and to impact the transportation system, then they did, in fact, impact it, if that was their goal. And, you know, it's likely that this will happen not just in Sweden, but in other places as well going forward. So something to be very aware of. And I would just say that as far as, you know, the impact of a denial of service attack, I think as security professionals, we always think, well, yeah, you can, you can carry out an attack and deny service lots of things, and it could impact just about anything you can think of. But I think as far as what uh, has been reported broadly and what the person walking down the street would understand, they say, oh, well, no, you can't shut down a train with computers, you know, like, how are you, how you going to pull that off? And honestly, there's probably much worse things that could happen from denial of service attacks like this one, if coordinated right and if sustained for a long enough period of time. You think about the impact of critical infrastructure and then probably the confusion that this caused. This was a pretty interesting attack because they got a, a pretty powerful message out there, right? I mean, where else do you find, hey, if I ran a denial of service against an electric company's notification page, how many people are going to hear it? Right. But if I run a denial of service against a, a commuter train uh, notification page, well, it's going to affect a much broader audience. Right. So it's going to get a lot more attention. So I'm wondering if that was uh, that was part of the motive as well. That's a good point. There's probably a lot more awareness that something went wrong here and a lot more discussion amongst those people that were impacted when, you know, they're basically their daily lives were probably disrupted, you know, either getting home or going to work. So, you know, it's an interesting uh, aspect to it that you bring up there. Yeah, well, the other side of the coin here is that the, uh, the rail system can now judge how many of their users are, are on Facebook, perhaps even do away with using any type of home-rolled or, or commercialized notification system and just go straight to uh, social media going forward. Right, right. It's a good story. Another, another one that kind of, you know, gives me a little agita to think about the fact that, you know, various attacks can have... Uh, visible impacts in your daily life uh, and how you, you know, could go about your daily business. So it's another good one to keep in mind. And hopefully we don't see more of this. And But the people in charge hopefully will take notice and say, well, maybe we need to put a little more protections around these various systems uh, so that this can't happen again in the future. The best reaction, in my opinion, is to have a good plan, have a good defense system set up so that if something like this does happen to you, you have uh, some kind of systems in place to hopefully protect yourself. I have somebody come in and check out what you have running, see how vulnerable it is, and make suggestions on what you can do to harden it or to put some layers in place that will protect you from an attack like the one that was carried out in Sweden. All right, so I thought we'd take a look at the internet weather for this week. This is the most probe ports, so by volume of sheer scanning, not necessarily how many people are doing the scanning, but the sheer volume of scanning, that's what these numbers represent here. You know, we talk about these ports all the time. Telnet, SSH, Microsoft SQL Server, web is port 80, Microsoft file sharing 445 TCP, remote desktop protocol 3389 TCP. We see these all the time. I'm gonna talk about two here that kind of piqued my interest. We've been talking about them for a couple of weeks. So 8545 TCP, we'll take a closer look at and 53.413 UDP, we'll take a closer look at also. This is the most sources probing. And when we see this one, it's usually related to botnets and they're getting instructions to scan a specific port all at the same time. So these usually tell you a little bit more about intent or you can understand the intent behind them a little bit more easily. So we have got Telnet and we've got 445 TCP. These have been up high 
445 TCP more recently because of the WannaCry or some of these other, WannaCry is one family ransomware. There's a couple other actor sets out there trying to leverage the same similar exploit against that port uh, to recruit new machines into their botnets. So let's take a look at uh, a few of the ports that we talked about uh, earlier on. So 8545 TCP, it's been talked about on our show for probably the past month or so. And this is, I believe, likely scanning for poorly protected Ethereum wallets. And Ethereum is another cryptocurrency similar to Bitcoin, but not exactly the same. This is a five-year chart because I wanted to just show kind of a long-term trend as you see nothing, nothing, nothing. Around the July 20th timeframe of this year, there was a vulnerability discovered in this uh, Ethereum wallet called Parity. That is a very popular one for Ethereum. There's a bug in it that allowed uh, people to steal. Some bad actor figured this bug out and stole about $30 million worth of Ethereum wow. cryptocurrency back in July. Since that vulnerability was discovered earlier this year, or maybe it was even last year, we started to see an uptick in, uh, uh, in scanning on that port. You don't always um, get a very clear um, reason for why people are doing that. I mean, a lot of people just say, well, why would anybody waste their time doing that? You know, just scanning, addresses on the internet. Here you have the clearest possible reason. Well, I try to try to figure out why, and especially when you look at a long-term trend, it becomes kind of obvious, right? That, hey, this is around the July 20th timeframe here yeah. when all this started to go, um, you know, a much more accelerated uptick in scanning activity there. To me, that was one of those kind of ahas where it looks like we kind of figured out what that was all about when you saw all this traffic and it kind of went up at the same time as this announcement that this successful attack had been carried out. And then once someone steals 30 million, because there's some weak wallets out there, if the word spreads, other people might say, hey, I wonder yeah. if I can find a weekly hey, protected wallet. This. Yeah, exactly. I'll be happy with 1 million. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why you see the continued. Right. I, I don't advocate that, however, that's probably the motivation behind here is trying to get some money. And since cryptocurrencies are pseudo-anonymous, there's probably, you know, theft of it is probably very hard to attribute back to who actually stole it. Let's look at the next one. So this is port 53413 UDP. We've talked about this a lot on the show historically. Again, I brought up a five-year chart because I wanted to kind of show what this looks like over time. So back on August 25th, 2014, long time ago, over three years ago, uh, there was a vulnerability written about uh, by Trend Micro about this back door that was open on these Netis routers. All you have to do is send a packet and give the machine or the device, the Netis router, an instruction to say, like, go download this file and then run it. And it then, that, it. then that thing's infected. Yeah. So it's a really easy one to leverage. So you can see, you know, once that vulnerability is released, you start to see an uptick. There's a lot of noise. We've seen periods of accelerated or increased amounts of scanning. So a real big spike back here in, interestingly, July 31st, 2016. There's a big spike up around 1.6 billion scan flows per hour, which is quite a bit. And it's gone, you know, you get these periods of spikes. Since we're looking at a five-year chart, it's a little hard to see, but there is this kind of uptick incline here, and that's why it it's triggered up into the um, top 10 again. So it never really goes away fully. Uh, it kind of stays somewhere probably in the top 50, but it's below the top 10 usually, and it's kind of crept back up into the top 10. Another one to keep a, you know keep mindful if you forgot about it or you haven't watched the show historically, 
This has been a vulnerability that's been pretty well known about for about three years, and it's really easy to exploit. If you have a Netis router, I recommend you know checking their page to see how to get patches, if there's patches available, to make sure that your device is secure. And then the last one, we've talked about this over the past couple of months, I guess, once the uh, WannaCry uh, ransomware came out back in, I guess, whenever this was, somewhere, is that May, like maybe middle of May, something like that? This kind of, this big spike right here is when it was first emerged. Again, it's another five-year chart, because I wanted to show that we were kind of going in the right direction here. A lot of this had been from conficker infections and some other types of worms that were exploiting the old MS-08067 vulnerability, which is really old at this point, but there still was a lot of devices out there um, infected and scanning for those. And it had gone down, uh, but as soon as WannaCry came out, leveraging the new exploits of the Eternal Blue, Eternal Romance, Eternal Synergy, we started to see you know, a very rapid ex you know, increase in the amount of scanning going on here. And this is scan sources. So we went from you know, what we were at here, maybe about 10,000 scan sources per hour to now we're seeing 55,000. So it's about almost a five-fold increase probably from prior to WannaCry emerging. So one of the guys asked uh, after we did the internet weather, if it's encrypting all the contents of the hard drive, why are they still out there scanning? But the reason is because that domain was registered re really quickly when the malware first came out so that the encryption part wasn't occurring, but the scanning was still going on. And that continues to still go on. So we see you know, a lot of devices out there still scanning on that port. So it's still going up. We haven't seen it even come back no, down yet. We haven't seen it trend downward. That's not great. I don't have a good explanation for that because the patches have been available, but there's probably just people out there that either don't know they've got some old machine that's exposed to the internet that's infected or Maybe they're running pirated copies of Windows. You know, we know in parts of the world, they might use more non-legitimate versions of Windows where they don't get all the patches because of that. So that could be part of it too. Don't really have a good explanation for it, but these uh, exploits are very good, very reliable, and uh, they work very well. So it's kind of a no-brainer. If your device is exposed to the internet with the port 445 TCP SMB port open, uh, and you're not patched for this, you will get compromised because there's just too many devices out there looking to recruit you into various botnet families. So another good one to keep an eye out for. Hopefully this trend will curtail. I don't know. Eventually it will. But, you know, it was really, we were showing a really good positive trend here, positive in terms of going down. That's what we, we like to see. And now it's really kind of gone back up beyond where we had even seen it pack you know, five years ago, it wasn't even this, this bad. So good one to keep an eye on. And that's all we have for this week. I think that there's just uh, a need for awareness that all of these things are happening. A lot of things that may not have been top of mind or may not have caught, caught your attention uh, that it's good to share and be cognizant of. You know, I think that's what the show is all about is keeping people's awareness high about what's been going on so that they can better protect themselves. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.